Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Oh, this sermon series is a unique one. It's broken up into started last week, last year, November, now it's February, and in a couple of months' time we'll do the next one. But it's actually something which was born three years ago. Um, Brown and I discussed this topic at length, saying that there's so many scriptures which is thrown around in the world, which people say, Yo, how about this, or how about that, or the Bible say, the Bible say most, the Bible says that. And then we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we just, just go with it. And it's one thing if someone tells you a lie and you can recognize it, and it's cool. It's like, yeah, bro. I don't trust you, it must be your name. But it's something completely different when someone gives you something which is just an off-center truth and that misleads you and you never get to the, to the bottom of it. And there's major consequences which comes with that. We initially thought three years ago that we're going to label it and say, redeem the verse, and that'll be the series. And that never happened, but now we're here. And what, what it is labeled now is the truth will set you free and the false ammunition which comes with that. So the truth is our ammunition, is what God gives us. But when we misinterpret it, or maybe allow another, one, another person's misinterpretation to come into our hearts, then it becomes false ammunition, something extremely dangerous. So if you, the first one which we looked at was we said, there's a verse which says, the truth will, uh, which there's a verse which said, says, you shall not judge. It's Mark, uh, Matthew 7 verse 1. Does the Bible say that? Yes, it does. Is it the truth? Yes, it is. Does it get used out of context? Definitely. And does it cause damage in the world? Most definitely. So then we redeem this verse by looking at it in context, saying we're not going to use, just use those three words out of context, do not judge. We're going to put it in context. We're going to look at the rest of Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5, and use Matthew 18 to counter that, to say this is the bigger picture, this is how it looks, and this is how God wants us to implement it. Now today we're doing exactly the same on Revelation, Revelation 3 verse 20. We're going to say that there's something which God wants to teach us there, but the world around us is starting to teach us a little bit, something a little bit different. And today it's a close one. It is, it is just, just off center of what we, would want it to, what we would think to believe. And it doesn't even sound wrong. But then we're going to use the rest of Revelation 3 as well as John 3 to counter that, to say, this is the truth and this is how it looks all, if it's wholeheartedly embraced by the word. Cool. Before we jump into the, the meat and potatoes, let me just pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are the one who brings truth and who brings scripture. And thank you that you teach us and that you never neglect us, that you always have time for us. I pray for my heart to Stay pure in the deliverance of your message, Lord, and for every heart here to be ready to accept your message. I pray this in your name. Amen. One thing which God placed on my heart very strongly for today's message is that there's two things of equal importance today. The content and the implementation thereof. So our agreement can be that I'll do the best in my human and very average abilities to, de to deliver the content as well as I possibly can. To deliver what God has placed in my heart the last week as well as I possibly can. But also then, the counter side is, 
if the implementation and the content is equally important, I want to ask you to, for the commitment to say, and at the end of today's sermon, I will pray, I, as in every one of us, will pray into this before I leave. Is that a, is that a fair commitment from both sides? Okay, two people at least is going to pray, I see. I can shove. There, there are more thumbs ups coming. Shove. Great. So if you were here last time you, in that 12th of November sermon, you might remember this picture of Chuck. Is there anyone who remembers Chuck from last, from last year? Okay, great. If you, weren't here, if you were here, good news. We're going on, on, on that. On, we're do, going to do exactly the same. If you weren't here, don't stress at all because we don't need that Chuck to, to do today's sermon. So I'm going to give you nine seasons of background. Chuck is a series in just more than nine seconds. So essentially what happens is, quickly think of the most irresponsible person you know. That should, that should come up very quickly. You, you don't even have to think a lot. Who's the most irresponsible person you know? If that person is not the person next to you, tell that person next to you who that person is. But tell the person next to you, who's the most irresponsible person you know? Okay, now Chuck is that person on steroids. He's much more irresponsible than the name you just said and the name you just heard. And that's why he gets two bodyguards, Sarah and Casey, next to him. And Sarah and Casey is essentially tasked to protect this guy. They go on missions all around the world and they need to make sure that he does not die. But somewhere in, a, in, a, in this adventures of theirs, Chuck realizes he might die. Like, this is dangerous stuff. He doesn't like this very much. And he demands to have a gun. He says, I'm not going with you anymore if I don't have a gun. Now think of this name you just mentioned. Will you give that person a gun? Fully loaded, full ammunition. Probably not. Chuck, definitely not. Definitely, definitely not. In Afrikaans service, I pretended to pull a gun and then I whacked all the sound stuff off so you can't even trust me with a microphone. But what it comes down to is, Chuck says, if you don't give me a gun, I'm going nowhere. So they give him a gun with some false ammunition in it. Ammunition that cannot fire. And I say, we'll protect him, we'll never need to use it. And he believes for very, very long that he has the correct ammunition to protect himself. And that's what he believes. Until one night, he finds himself in a deserted train station, comes around the train, train tracks, and there's a person sitting, putting a gun in his face and telling him, Chuck, this is your last day. But luckily, Chuck has a gun. So he draws his gun, points it, pulls the trigger, and all he hears is nothing. To his disappointment. And faith is nothing different if we start believing things which aren't the truth. If we start believing something and say, Yo, this, the, someone has told me, do not judge. It's something you're not allowed to do at all. Last time sermon. sermon. Or um, all things will work together for me because I love God. Very close. For me at Varsity it was, I can do all calculus through God who strengthens me. Like, it's easy, easy. You, you, can, you can get a lot of examples like this. They just go on and on and on. And the longer you believe them, the more they become your truth, the more you adopt them. Until one day you need to pull a trigger with that truth and you're left deserted. Like, oh, why doesn't this not work? And then we, 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 then we come offended with God, the one who does not keep his promises, the one who says this will happen and it does not happen. But actually it was a misinterpretation or an out of context um, quote of someone, even me. And that, that puts us at shame. 
not God not fulfilling his purpose. So what, we, what we're doing in this series is we're looking at where are these misinterpreted or out of context quoted truths, which then becomes false ammunition. And today we're looking in specifically into Revelation 3. Just to ground this for us, the word says the truth will set you, three, set you free. John 8 says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This will set you free is from the false ammunition, from a, a condition or a position where we find ourselves wanting to be able to say, but God is teaching me this, but this is the truth, but we don't have that ammunition. We're, we're rather sort of the shame of, well, I thought this was true, but it never was. I remember as a primary school kid once saying, everything in the Bible is true except God lied in Genesis. And I don't know why more people's eyes didn't go, like, what's it lied to? But what I said, he said that um, if Adam and Eve eat of the fruit in the middle of the, of the garden, then they will die. And they didn't. He lied. Shop. Renir one, God zero. Then at the end of Revelation, God has got a lot more than I do. But at least I got him in Revelation. But the, the false interpretation thereof is it's a physical death. The truth would, would have been they would die spiritually. And they would need to be redeemed by God's Son who comes to the earth, who dies for us, and therefore they can be resurrected again and go to heaven. So my misinterpretation of what that word meant, or what that verse meant, matter that I told a lot of people that God's a liar. How much damage that could have caused? Probably did cause, I don't know. If you're at school with me, I'm sorry. So, and that's exactly why we are looking at these verses and saying, let's find these truths, break them open, and bring them back to the Word, to the, to the Bible, because that is where we know that the, the God has given us the truth. That's what he says in John 8. Jumping over to Revelation 3, the, the verse which we're going to look at today, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's a good verse. And a very good verse. Not much which we, can, which we feel we can misinterpret there. But deception comes when we don't see it. Otherwise, it's not deception. That's exactly what it is. So we're going to break open this verse a little bit. If you Google this verse, the picture you get all over the internet looks like this. It is all over the internet. God standing, or Jesus standing on the outside, or interpretation of Jesus standing on the outside, knocking on a door. Inside that door is a couple of non-believers sitting either drinking or partying or doing wrong stuff, and God is like... I want to come teach you. I want to come speak to you. I wanted to give your lives to me. Not forcing yourself in. It's like, hey, I'm coming. You get this picture and this explanation is all over the internet. But there's three questions which we need to answer. And I'm going to quickly list them before we get to them. The first one is, where is Jesus knocking? The second one is, why should people let him in? And then the thir third one is, how does the process look after letting him in? If someone comes and knock it, knocks it on your door at your house, physically, and you let him in, that's not the end of it. Something needs to happen. Like, it'll be very awkward if he just stands in the foyer for the rest of the day. Like, thanks, you let me in, but, but no. So something needs to happen. 
The way we're going to address these three questions is with a little video. I have to apologize that the video is in Afrikaans. I just couldn't get it to subtitles or in English, but don't worry, I'll, I'll narrate it well. But I like these people very much. These are the people from Taktik. Is there anyone who watched Taktik? It's a very corny, stupid Afrikaans series. Like, very dry humor. But the video is 1 minute 20 seconds. And it's just going to give us a little bit of a look in, into how we have been able to justify a quote out of context. Cool. The mic dropped there at the end. Like, I was trying to convince her, I don't get my way, I want, she want. Everyone wants different, th different things. And then the big one which no one can argue with. But the Bible says. Huh? Like, you can't drop with that. So let, if, you're, if you haven't followed that, let me, let me quickly catch you up. So we start off with Lisa. That girl's name is Lisa. Then she's married to a guy called Arendt. What he wants, he wants, a, he wants a divorce. Hard topic for church, I know. Then there's another guy which they speak about. He's not in the video. His name is Goose. What does Goose want? He wants to marry Lisa. What does Lisa want? She just wants help. Mom, please help me. I need advice. But what does Mom want? Mom's name is Karen. What does Mom want? She just wants money. It's like, if you can divorce him, get off of his money. Then she says, no, nope, sorry, that's not going to work. Okay, then don't divorce him. Love him, because then I can get off of his money. That's essentially what it, what it comes down to. And no one gets what they want. And in this heated argument, and this goes on and on and on, the solution is just, maar my kind, the Bible says so. The Bible says this. The Bible says you're not allowed to. And that is often how many, many people try, tries to get away. A misinterpretation, a super out of context quote. Nothing of moral or godly relationship for those around you or nothing of the covenant with God. It's just, you know what? The Bible says the only way I'm going to get my money is if you stick in this thing. And that's how we're going to make it work. And that is the dangers of allowing us to go out of, or allowing anyone to go out of context, to allow anyone to give us ammunition which is not found and, and rooted in Scripture. So looking at these three questions again, the answers to Revelation 3 verse 20 questions is, is very easily and often answered as follows. Where is Jesus knocking? Jesus knocks on the hearts of unbelievers. And the reason why he knocks is for them to come to salvation. It's for them to give their hearts to God. And then what needs to happen thereafter is they need to surrender to him. Some dramatic occurrence or repentance or, or however it may look. You might have been through this recently. It's like that, that is, that's what's happening. That, ugh, that's what needs to happen. And what we can see here is all three of the yellow answers there are truths in some way or another. We, God does knock on people's hearts. He wants non-believers to come to salvation. He does want them to repent. He does want their lives to change. But for Revelation 3 verse 20, this is not applicable. This is a false truth. In order for us to understand Revelation 3 verse 20 well, we need to understand where it comes from and to whom it was written. Because very often we read Paul's Revelation 3 verse 20, and knowing that or interpreting that it is aimed at a non-believer and being someone who's already given your heart to God, the truth and the magnitude of that verse does not stick with you because it's not applicable to me at this point. But let's read Revelation 3. The entire Revelation 3 was written to seven churches and 14 to 17 is specifically the church which we're looking at, the church of La Laodicea. It says, 
And to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, the words, of, the words of the Amen, the words of Jesus, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. With that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may, be, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And slave to anoint your, and self to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Therefore, if I read up until here and I know what's coming, I do not see the connection at all. How does God say, I'm knocking? Here we go, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he eat with me. So the first and most important thing which we should realize here is God, ach, this verse, this entire chapter is written to the church, not unbelievers, not people outside church, it's the people sitting here. If you know God, if you have given your heart to God, this is written to us and to us to hear, to say that he's knocking on the doors of believers. Then why is he writing to them? He says, I'm knocking on the doors of believers who have become lukewarm. Who there's, a, there's an aspect in their life which is, which is not as it should be. Or maybe someone who gave their life to me in dramatic style and it was, it was uh, pumping, it was, it was a, a blazing relationship and then just slowly but surely cooled down and became, became lukewarm. And that, that's why he's writing. Then it says a little bit later in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and cover your nakedness and self to anoint your eyes. Now what we, should, what we should first of all take here is that neither the gold, nor the white clothes, nor the ointment for the eyes are physical things which Jesus is referring to here. He's saying, I will give you, if you open this door for me, I will give you something extremely valuable related to gold. I will help you cover up your shame, your lukewarm relationship, you proclaiming you know me and not really knowing me. That is shame. We all hate it. We come, maybe you come out of a, a broken relationship or a broken marriage and you have a lot of shame and you don't want to come to church. Or you maybe know someone like that who's been hurt in church and doesn't want to come. And God says, open this door and I'll, I'll give you something to cover that shame. You'll feel better. And then lastly, he says, and I'll give you ointment for your eyes that you can see the truths, that you will not be deceived again. All these three things aren't physical things we can touch. And the door which he's referring to, which is knocking on, is also not a physical thing. It does not give metaphorical answers to something physical. The door which he is referring to here is the door of our hearts. Where Jesus says, I'm knocking on the hearts of, of believers, of those in church. I want to come to knock on your heart as a believer, someone who already knows me. We as the church cannot sidestep that verse saying it's meant for the, for the non-believers and I'm glad God is knocking so that he can tell them. 
Here it is, God is knocking on our hearts. He wants to tell us something. And he says, if we allow him into our hearts, he will give us something extremely valuable. That salvation which you spoke about earlier. He will also help us to cover any shame, any hurt. If you're sitting here and you know that the only reason I started coming to church is because there was a lot of stuff wrong in my life. There was a lot of hurt and I'm still feeling the consequences of some of it. Then Jesus is saying, I'm knocking on the heart of you, you as a believer. And I want to come fix that. I want to come help you feel better. I don't want you to feel like that anymore. And then I'll give you the ointment to be able to see the truths, to not find yourself in that direction again. So what this means to us is that Revelation 3 verse 20 is written for us as believers. And we, should, we are there to allow God to come knock on our hearts and then open for him and say, God, but please come. Please come in. I, I want you to come in. But the question would be, why would this be necessary? If we have to define God and say, the holy God, the one who made everything, the one who knows us inside and out, why would we not allow him in? Why, why, was, why does this passage even need to be there? Why does he need to go tell that church, listen guys, I'm knocking on your door. Allow me back into your hearts. And to understand that, we need to first look at how, where that church was in, in the Roman Empire or in the, in the time which they lived. So the context is that specific church was excelling at everything they did. They were good builders. They, could, they were very rich. They had a lot of minerals and a lot of resources. To such an extent that 60, 60 after Christ, there was an earthquake which basically obliterated their whole city. And the Roman Empire said, you guys are very good for our economy. We'll help you build the city, rebuild the city. And they said, no thanks, we're fine. We don't need anyone. And they said, okay, wait, wait, we won't build it for you. We understand you have your niches, what you want. So we'll give you the resources at least. And then you can build it just like you want. And the response is, we told you, we don't need anything. We don't need anyone. We're fine. We can do this. We can do this on our own. And their faith started following the same route. They were prosperous. They were rich. They could have their children marry, marry anyone from anywhere in the world because they could afford it. Anyone would want to buy into their empire. And they would just say, like, yo, we don't need you to help us build. We are self-sustained. And we don't need these pastors to help us grow because we're self-sustained. And slowly but surely, their faith started deteriorating. They started becoming this lukewarm. It's a very easy thing for us to look from the outside and say, yes, those naughty people, yo, cannot believe it. Can you, can you just think? But we are so, so easily caught in that same trap. So, so easily. It's just not over a case of many, many thousands of years like it was with this church, or hundreds of years. It's just in a shorter time frame for us, but it does still happen. So they essentially, now, now John writes this letter to them and he says, listen, whoa, you have become lukewarm. You, you start thinking you can do everything on your own, but that is not the case. What should happen, what must happen, the truth, when you don't take this out of context, the truth is, that you need Christ. He's knocking on your door. You should open up again. And that is, that is when, it, when it starts becoming applicable to us. When God says, you're near, and everyone else, 
There's an aspect in your life which God is knocking on, which Jesus is knocking on and saying, it can, maybe, it can be a marriage where God is saying, you know me, I know you know me, but the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, that's not right, and that's why I'm knocking. It might be your finances. You're like, you say, God, I know you. I really can't see myself taking 10% of all this which you give me and give that back to the church, so I'm just going to keep you out of my finances for now, but I know you. That is where God is knocking. And there's a, there's a whole variety of, of, different, of different examples which you can give. But the reason why it is difficult for us and difficult for that church as well to acknowledge that the knocking which Jesus does is on the heart of believers and is on my heart and on your heart is because the moment we let him in, change will occur. And change can sometimes be tough. This is confirmed, John 3, verse 16 is very, very popular, but we're going to look at 17 as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I think it's safe to say most people have heard this verse. I think it's also safe to say that most people don't know the second verse that well, including myself. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him and saved from sin. Saved from our sin. And that sin is the thing which needs to change in our hearts. That is why John needs to write to this church and say, we as human beings are sinful people. By nature, we are sinful, and that sin needs to change. And the reason why Jesus is knocking even on the hearts of believers, on, on newborn people who's following him, is because there will always be sin in our hearts. And therefore, he comes and knocks and says, your marriage, it's not how it's supposed to be. This relationship of yours is a great relationship, but, but this sex before marriage, it's not how it's supposed to be. Or maybe in marriage, sexual immorality, not how it's supposed to be. Finances, like I said earlier, I'm not willing to lay down 10% of what God gives me anyway to give that back. And God conviction, the God is knocking on the door. Or maybe at work you say that, sure God, I know this stuff at work, but that's how we make money. Like, thank you that you're blessing my family, thank you for blessing my health, thank you that you're blessing my marriage. But remember, nice guys finish last. This is how, this is how we make money. This is how it works. Or maybe you're, you're aware of people in your close vicinity, not operating the way which God wants them to. But because of the fear of man, you might be turning a blind eye, saying, that, I, ca I cannot stand up in, in this regard. I cannot mention anything here. Maybe everything is going well except, except for your health. You just say, God, you know that without this little paliki, you know how I become. I'll submit any, everything to you. But you know, without this, you, you know what I am. You know I need this. It's different to say that I submit myself to God and God helps me. That's not what I'm saying with, with doctor or with medicine. But you'll know when it is you that God says, you're not submitting your health to me. You're not submitting your habits, your body to me. You're not submitting your marriage or your finances or your work or your day-to-day -day priorities. That is not submitted to me. And that is why God needs to come and knock on the door, on our doors, on our hearts. to Say, let me in. Let me into the heart of the believer. No longer shall we believe that this verse is aimed to bring people to salvation. This verse is aimed for the saved, those who have already come to salvation, to be reminded that we are sinful beings. And it's something which we need to lay down. Yes, that sounds so odd. 
Well, it is hard, probably. And there are things which we need to lay down on a, on a, daily, on a, on a daily basis to say that, God, I feel you knocking. Thank you that you come and save me from sin. So here's my request this afternoon. As I said earlier, the two most important things for today which I felt God placing on my heart is the content as well as the action taken on the content. So my request is the following, that we take the next three minutes to pray, short prayer. The prayer essentially is, God, please show me where you are knocking on my heart and show me what needs to change. Because that is what will happen. It's a must happen. When you open the door, change will happen. Because we're sinful and God is not sinful. But he's coming in. Short two sentences. God, show me where you're knocking on my heart and show me what needs to change. I'm going to give us three minutes to pray into that. And really be aware of, of the topics which God is putting on your heart after you've prayed that. Then thereafter, I'm going to have a short chat through the interpretations, the reactions which comes out from our hearts when we do this. And then we can, can close off, pray together, and, and go enjoy a coffee thereafter. So I'm going to give us three minutes. The prayer is, God, show me where you are knocking on my heart, and show me what needs, what needs to change. There are three different reactions which our hearts tend to go towards in when asking difficult questions like this. The first one being to really acknowledge that God is knocking on my door, on my heart, challenging me in a specific area. And then we sit and pray through that, which is what we did and will do. The second one is the I hear, I take it as a truth, but I will apply it a little bit later. Just not now. I'll apply it when it suits me. I'll apply it how it suits me. Just not now, because it's intrusive. That's the Koran way that we saw in the video. She knows the Bible says you're not allowed to divorce, so she just waits for the right opportunity that it fits her, and then she brings it in right after she said, divorce him and take all his money. She said, oh wait, the Bible says. So if your heart is one now feeling that we should all keep our eyes closed and it's fine, but I'm not going to do something now. I want to urge you into very, very careful territory. Because that's a current way of saying, I hear the truth. I won't respond now. I'll use it when it suits me. The third, the third way which, in which our hearts often react is to say that I don't have something. I thought about this. I heard what God said this morning. I thought, but there's not something. I'm okay. If this is you, I want to remind you again of, of the church, the Laodicea church, which said, we're fine. We don't need anyone. And that's an extremely dangerous place also to be. Because we're either in one of two spaces. Either we are, I have sin, I acknowledge it, or I am Jesus. That's the only two options. There's nothing in between. We're either sinful or we're perfect. And only Jesus is perfect, which inherently points us to we are sinful. So I'm going to give us a couple of minutes again to pray as Ranir can come up for the worship. 
I'm going to give us a couple of minutes again to pray with the following in mind. If you were someone which God really evoked or provoked a topic on your heart, continue praying into it. And even be bold and chat to the person next to you if you are comfortable to say that Yo, the topic which came up into my heart earlier, I don't really know where it fits in yet, is this. I think that's where God is knocking. If you are sitting thinking that I'm just going to close my eyes and I will, no one will know I'm not really thinking, uh, we'll finish soon. I want to caution you against that art because that is art that will later on twist the truth a little bit, a little bit until we find ourselves deceived again. And if you are here thinking that I could not think of something, I want to invite you to ask God again. God will reveal a place in your heart where He's knocking because I promise He's knocking. He's knocking at every one of our doors. It can be at work, can be at home, can be in family, it can be in friends, can be in how I steward what is given to me, how I treat other people, how I speak about other people, how I treat myself, what I think about myself. There are endless examples. But we cannot be convinced that there's not, no place where God is knocking. God is knocking each of our, door, each of our doors. I'm going to give a couple of minutes again to either continue the journey which you've already been on with God for the, for the previous three minutes or to say, God, I'm sorry. I was like the church or like God and I didn't, I didn't allow a fair chance for you to show me, but I want to change. So whichever one of those three categories you, you fall, let's just take a couple of minutes. I'll kick us off in prayer and then pray again and ask God to show him where is he knocking and what in your life should change. Lord, thank you that you don't allow us to just sit and be lukewarm after we've come to salvation. Thank you that the verse like Revelation 3 verse 20 is not aimed at the unsaved, but is aimed at us in the church. And let us always interpret it accordingly. Let us always be honest with ourselves as you are knocking on our hearts. Lord, I pray for strong godly convictions on every heart in this building this morning. To not be able to ignore the areas which you are knocking. Not the one area, or the five, or the ten, or the twenty areas which you are knocking in the lives of those who follow you. Thank you that you come and give us the truths. Thank you that you don't hold back because you love us that much. We proclaim your name, the God who reigns above it all. Please bring strong godly convictions in our hearts. Show us we are knocking and what in our hearts needs to change.